This episode of The Interesting Hour is brought to you by Core Foundation. Core Foundation is a multimedia nonprofit. Check us out at cor-foundation.org. Subscribe, share, and comment, like us, do things, and also subscribe to The Interesting Hour on iTunes, SoundCloud, anything else that plugs into iTunes. (laughs) Hello, friends. Oh, my God. Hi. We're back. We're back. I got to say hello, friends, again. Yay. Justin, I love it. Justin Kupinoff's on a microphone, ladies and gentlemen. Yay. And on the other microphone is me, Devesh Firma. And we're in, officially, season two of The Interesting Hour. Yes. We're pulling a Rick and Morty, and we're releasing this one... Uh, way early. Way early. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because we are still recording episodes uh, and editing and just filtering out whatever we don't like us of and stuff. And yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. But I think uh, season two so far, the ones we have recorded, I'm pretty excited. I'm actually really excited. We have lo- we have spillover from uh, season one. Like, we didn't even air all of our episodes that we wanted to air in season one. Yeah, it's like, true. We got some stuff queued up for you guys, but more importantly, this episode. Yeah, and one of the reasons we're releasing this one early is because of the topic, free speech, it's which... Free. Uh, Mm, a little hot topic so yeah not the store yeah (laughs) although we love hot topic the store if you'd like to talk to us about sponsorships hot topic yes uh, we're open talk um anyways no with everything going on berkeley wise everything wise uh we're gonna talk about safe spaces we're gonna talk about trigger trigger warnings warnings. (laughs) we're gonna talk about the first amendment yes yes that actually takes up the majority of the interview but uh our good man here justin kupanoff got us an interview with steve simpson at the ayn rand institute in irvine california yes with their director of legal studies Mm -hmm. and steve was super cool he gave us a tour of the whole institute and uh he was able to sit down with us for an afternoon and pretty much just it went way longer than an hour it's cool but those are the best convos yeah yeah and uh we thank him for just taking the time and being there with us and just educating us yeah um because i think that's 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 another reason i wanted to put this out because a lot of people are talking about defending free speech right now and i think a lot of people don't even know what free speech is really what 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 it it comes down to like their idea of free speech versus the legal idea of free speech Mm -hmm. i think there's a huge difference yeah um i learned a lot i got schooled a little bit um this is an interesting setup getting this interview in place because justin was more like tevesh i gotta get you there <laughs> but you may not agree with them <laughs> but no everyone there was really cool and uh no it was i thought it was educational yeah yeah i don't think it was no hostility whatsoever i wasn't yeah it was great um yeah so everyone listen to this episode and keep in mind a lot of ideas are expressed not everyone agrees with it this is probably the interesting hours first real political solid political topic that we've been yeah uh, yeah although i don't think we really lean one way or the other in this it's more just laying the facts out and asking questions because this guy has worked on a lot of cases court cases involving free speech from from smaller cases all the way up to you know some major stuff with the supreme court yeah so So, yeah just check yeah check it out it's just uh sometimes a topic that's not political becomes political (laughs) so that's all i'm saying just keep an open mind when you guys check this out when you guys listen to this episode and uh yeah we'll enjoy yeah and uh one more thing we got uh for oh, the recording i'm uh, trying to get past that justin i know i know you <laughs> we'll don't want to talk it. about Let's it say but it. when we got back uh my 
my line, my microphone was completely specifically overwritten. Specifically, Justin Kupinoff's <laughs> track was just gone. So, uh, special thanks to Josh Kupinoff, my yes. bro, for this one. He basically used audio magic and pulled my bleeding noise through somebody else's mic and amplified it. So now it sounds like I'm basically skyping in with these guys. But I swear I'm there in the room. Yeah, with he. Them. Yes, everybody, wink, wink. Justin is there in the room. <laughs> Technology is not at hand. He yeah, had uh, one of those like Tupac hologram things. <laughs> And last note before we start the show, there's a portion in the show where we're talking about Richard Spencer, the white supremacist. That dude. Yeah. And uh, Steve, uh, I think, calls him Robert a few times, but we were talking about Richard Spencer. The white supremacist. Yeah. Just so everybody's aware. That one dude. Yeah. That one dude. Punch punch a Nazi guy. That dude. Yeah. White supremacist. Mm -hmm. All right. Enjoy the episode, guys. Yay. One, two, three, four. And here we are with Steve Simpson, Director of Legal Studies at the Ayn Rand Institute. How's it going, Steve? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm here, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if the, the intro wasn't any indication, I am here, too. <laughs> I thought maybe I was going to have to introduce him, but I guess not. Nah, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, so, yeah. I had the pleasure of seeing Steve and David Rubin and Colin Moriarty mm-hmm. at USC, and they were doing a panel on free speech. When was this? This was, when was it, three weeks ago? Yeah. Three weeks ago, that was in April then, Yeah. of 2017. Yeah. And since then, you've gone around and done a, a few other... Yeah, we've done about, uh, what, three others. In, uh, GW, uh, GW, George Washington in, uh, in uh, D.C. with Christina Hoff Summers, uh, UT, uh, University of Texas at Austin with uh, a guy by the name of Faisal um, Saeed Al-Mutar, who's a known as an ex-Muslim, and at uh, University of Arizona in Tucson with Michael Shermer, who's a sort of well-known skeptic, I guess you could call him. You did a little tour. Yeah, no. (laughs) And and in fact, I did two before that, one at UCLA with Dave Rubin and Fleming Rose, who, uh, do you guys know who Fleming Rose is? He's He's the guy who published the famous Muhammad cartoons in Denmark that led to the Muhammad cartoon crisis. And then we did one with Fleming and uh, Nadine Strassen, who's the former head of the ACLU at UPenn Law School before that. So I've been doing tons of these things, and they're all awesome. (laughs) uh, I got to say, with the with the climate of things going on right now i was uh i was wondering if there would be uh something going on there yeah what are you talking about justin oh i don't know i was smelling roses and daisies this morning everything's just fine what are you talking about everything's perfect in the world (laughs) as i say this my eyes are wide and i'm tilting it like (laughs) well you know in all seriousness so when we did the event at ucla with fleming rose we had and i actually made this um this point to the audience i said look over there in the corner of the room and tell me you know see who's standing there we had an armed guard there um, with a bulletproof vest on and a gun on his hip, and everybody had to go through metal detectors. Now, the obvious reason for that was that Fleming Rose is on an Al-Qaeda hit list. This guy is on like a top 10, you know, kill on site by Al-Qaeda because he published these cartoons. So he yeah. lives with constant security. Um, that was February 1st. So you, does, does that date sound familiar to you guys, February 1st? That was the night that Berkeley erupted in flames when Milo was speaking there. And it happened during the event. So Ruben pulls out his phone, Dave Ruben, and he says, I want to tell everybody Berkeley's on fire right now. Um, uh, obviously, we didn't get the same kind of thing there, but we had to have security there. Yeah. And, the, and I often say to people now, like, I think of that as the good old days. Way back three months ago, 
when the only people who needed armed guards were people who had pissed off Muslims. Now anybody who says you know anything that that can offend anybody needs to have armed security. We can talk about all of that, but uh, yeah, things have changed in a hurry. It's it's a little scary actually it, it when is. you think about that. Like yeah, just ideas being ugh, that's nuts. Yeah, stuff going up in Berkeley, man. Yeah, <laughs> we'll try not to get too much into it just this second. <laughs> no, we'll get there. We'll get there. So we got to build. We can't escalate too quickly. I know. I know. We've got to take our sweet time. <laughs> little foreplay guys just a little more foreplay all right so could you explain a little bit just about your past and sure. how free speech became to become an important thing to you yeah so uh i um i was thinking about this the other day and i think it's pretty much because i like to talk basically it's just you know <laughs> when i was a little kid my parents said you should really go to law school and uh, you talk so damn much you should be a lawyer and i didn't know what the hell they were talking about back then and then like 20 years later i'm in law school and all of a sudden i was like Holy shit, I'm actually in law school. I can't believe this. I used to yell at my parents for saying this. Well, so anyway, <laughs> bottom line is, lawyer for about 20 years, I practiced uh, constitutional law at a place called the Institute for Justice in Washington, D.C. for 13 years. And that's basically a libertarian public interest law firm. And what we did was we sued the government to vindicate constitutional rights, free speech being one of them. And I was, I did a ton of free speech work there. Mm-hmm. I did anything from challenging sign code and ordinances to um, right when, you know, e-commerce was just in its beginning, um, pushing back against regulations of people who wanted to to sell things online and, mm-hmm. and like, you know, exercise the right to free speech to advertise and sell online to challenging campaign finance laws, which... We can get into that if you guys want to, but that's what I am most infamous for is that I'm I may a, have a question. I am too. a huge fan <laughs> of money and politics, mm-hmm. but, but there's more to say about that. But it's a real mm-hmm. important free speech issue. So I kind of cut my teeth and just got really involved in it. Uh, several years ago, I realized that free speech was under attack and there were real serious challenges to it. Uh, I don't know if I'm happy to see that I've been vindicated or probably the opposite of that, but I think I was right about that. And mm. um, so I came to the to the Ayn Rand Institute about four years ago to move from, you know, litigating in court to you could put it as litigating in the court of public opinion. So I wanted to just convince real people that free speech is important and uh, and other issues that I deal with. So now I'm the director of legal studies here. That's kind of a fancy term for I speak and write about legal issues. Mm-hmm. The entire Department of Legal Studies is a department of one, and you're looking at the entire department right here. There one man army. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's basically the history. I mean, that's the real quick synopsis. So right now what I do is I write books. I write articles. I go out on speaking tours like the one you saw me at. Uh, I mean, I've done that tons put, of... That was put on by the Ayn Rand Institute, yeah. right? Yeah, we yeah. Did, we've done a ton of those or a bunch of those, the ones that I just mentioned. And then I go out and I speak to college kids and to law, law students constantly. So as a, for instance, maybe last November, October, I did about 15 different talks all across the country to law students and undergrads. Um, and usually every semester, that's when I'm out. I'm out on the road speaking to uh, to people. I was just up in Vancouver over the weekend at a conference of uh, of sort of liberty-minded people up there, who uh, and they did a whole panel on free speech because the same kind of thing is happening in Canada that's happening here. In fact, I think it's worse in Canada than it is here. Yeah. Um, but it's a big issue, uh, and it's something that you know I'm passionate about for the simple reason, and we can expand on this. If we don't have free speech, we don't have freedom. Simple, you know, that's the simplest right. way I'd put mm-hmm. it. Without free speech, you can't have a free country. Right. Well, you said you said you said you saw this happening a few years ago, yeah. the stifling of free speech. Mm-hmm. Like, 
can you give us an idea? Like, I think it's more apparent to a lot of people now, yeah. even though some people oh, say, yeah. well, that's not happening. You yeah. know? But, it, it propagated eventually. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so, yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I've been concerned about the state of free speech for, God, I mean, probably 20 years, but really concerned about it when I started getting interested in campaign finance law and just the fact that so many people accepted the idea that it was okay for government to put limits on free speech if it had, quote, good enough reasons. So, I mean, I don't want to get too far into campaign finance law. You guys decide how much you want to talk about it. But let's just talk about one case real quick, the Citizens United case, which is the one that everybody hates. Mm -hmm. That's the case where the Supreme Court held that corporations have a right to free speech and spend money in elections. That was a super PAC thing, right? No, the super PAC case is a different case. So okay. as, I'll, we can talk about that. <laughs> I have a special connection to the You're, super PAC. Thing, okay, well, let's, let's just which first we can, uh, we can talk about. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to brag when we get to super PAC. But, but just to plant that, just to plant that out there. Uh, um, but no, Citizens United was, that was a case where a small, like a nonprofit made a movie called Hillary the Movie, the last time Hillary ran for president, criticized her, and the campaign finance laws prevented them from distributing that film because it was paid for, and that, that that's essentially tantamount to electioneering speech it basically said don't vote for hillary i mean in words or substance that's if you watch the film it's pretty clear they wanted her to lose the election there's a tone um, yeah yeah right yeah it's kind of the vibe of the thing i don't yeah. think it was hard to to, to miss mm -hmm. um they had ann coulter who's one of the guests and i don't think ann coulter likes hillary clinton very much so maybe it was just her there and they were like oh yeah this is obviously against but i mean the point is this um, if those laws were allowed to stand, these guys who made this film would not have been able to distribute a film that criticized a president during an election. So I'll pose the question this way. If free speech doesn't mean you're allowed to criticize politicians, to politicians during an election, what the hell does it mean? Like that is like, and that is exactly what the founders, that was one of the reasons the founders included the First Amendment was so people could criticize, as Madison put it, public characters and measures, public things, things that had to do with government. And yet in, you know, since 2003 in this country, we've had laws, in fact, they go all the way back to the 70s, that prevent people from speaking out during elections. Remember the IRS targeting scandal? That's a, another mm. whole thing we could talk about. Yeah. But there's lots of things we could talk about. So while in the process of, of litigating those cases, I started to realize, okay, this is bad news, and why do so many people accept this, and what are the ideas underlying it? And then I started to really look at the whole culture, and I saw those same ideas popping up all over the place, among other places on college campuses. So, you know, maybe three or four years ago, I realized something, I mean, really, I think since the the 90s, we could tell that, and this is probably before your guys' time, but I was actually in college in the late 80s, mm -hmm. right at the beginning of PC on campus, which like early 90s. And that was the first iteration of college students opposing free speech. And now we're seeing the continued, we're seeing the sort of full flowering of that. I wish I could come up with a, a bad metaphor for it, but no, I mean, I'm we're really seeing it. I'm so surprised by that, yeah. to tell the truth. Because yeah, I figured it, when I went to college, like it was to learn new yeah. things and things yeah. that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with yeah i don't know maybe i'm old-fashioned that, that's what education is <laughs> yeah right i mean all every anybody who's become educated has had to confront ideas that made them feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. 
And that's what the process of learning is all. Yeah, you grow as a person. Thinking. I mean, even if it's like as simple or straightforward as calculus or math mm. or, well, calculus is math, right? So that shows <laughs> that I'm a lawyer. Or not. But, but I mean, <laughs> science, even the even things that are essentially just facts, factual, mm. they can still be really hard to grapple with. Imagine, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have a religious upbringing and mm. then you're confronted by evolution and mm. now you're, you know, this cognitive dissonance, you really have to confront which am I going to believe? Am I going to believe the science or the or the faith? Right. And that's what learning is all about. And if you're not prepared to deal with the discomfort of challenging your own ideas, you're never going to learn. And and what we're seeing today is a real kind of orthodoxy on campus and students who unfortunately have been very ill prepared to think and confront ideas that they disagree. Yeah, with. I'm worried that colleges are these campuses are becoming more like daycares and certainly how they're yeah. looking at safe places and stuff like. Again, I missed home when I was living in a dorm, yeah. right? That doesn't mean, I don't know. I'm old-fashioned, guys. I was in college in like 05 to like 08, though, so I don't feel like I'm yeah, that old-fashioned. that's forever ago. Yeah. Are you kidding I me? I guess so, yeah. especially in tech world, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I think that, that a lot of, or maybe not a lot, but I think some people will agree that obviously having a different viewpoint is important, just to, like yeah. you said. But um, so how does that change when you know, somebody having a speaker that maybe you don't necessarily agree with, but seeing the other side of it versus having like, say a Richard Spencer type person, like how, how is that? Yeah. You know, how, how is that important? How's the, how's the guy that's a Nazi, you know, holding up a sign that says, you know, something horrible. Like, why is it important for that guy to have his free speech? Yeah. So why don't we back up if you don't mind Mm -hmm. and, like sort of define what free speech is, and then I'll explain why. Yeah, I totally. Think that's yeah, that, let's that's do it. true. Let's get, let's get on the same page. Um, so, I mean, you can think of free speech, I and mean, we we typically think of it as a right. Right, it's a right that's protected by the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment. And what that does is it prevents the government from, in essence, censoring or restricting your speech. So the First Amendment applies against government. It doesn't apply against other private parties. It doesn't say that you're entitled to a microphone. It doesn't say you guys have to do a podcast with me on it. Mm -hmm. In fact, you could cut this thing off right now and say, screw you. We don't like what you're saying. Piss off. End of story. We're out of here. And that would not have anything to do. That would violate your... It would not violate anything. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't violate the Constitution. It wouldn't violate my rights. It would be entirely within your rights. You guys own all this equipment here. Like it's entirely up to you whether you whether you have. And you can do the whole show and then cut the whole thing out and 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 say you know we don't want to have this guy. Um, we don't want to air this podcast. That's not a violation of anybody's right to free speech. Mm-hmm. That is, and in fact, that's that is an assertion of your right to property, your right to liberty, your right to to carry on your life as you see fit. Um, so it's important to get keep that clear. It's that it's the First Amendment is only violated when government violates your right to free speech. Now, there's a kind of related issue, which is if private individuals violate somebody else's liberty. So the Robert Spencer thing, I mean, he became famous uh, or infamous, depending on how you look at it, primarily. And this is kind of funny the way these things work. Right. It was when he got punched during the inauguration, and that's right. captured on YouTube, and that led to the whole puncher Nazi meme. Right. So the way I would put it with guys like him, uh, and I'll, I'll expand on this a little bit, is the bottom line is, <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. Um, 
is that uh, it's definitely a violation of his property rights and his right to liberty to punch the guy for any reason at all, whether he's a Nazi or just somebody that you don't you don't like. You're not allowed to just go around punching people. Period. What's That's a quote where it's like that, my right to swing my fist. And yeah, my dad always used to tell me that. That's what exactly the, right. What was the quote? I, I haven't heard that. Uh, your your right to swing your fist ends where my nose begins. Yeah. Which is a kind of That's it's great. a good way to think about it because <laughs> when you think about what rights are. In the Founders' conception, in the Enlightenment conception, rights are kind of zones of freedom that ensure that we can act uh, in ways that are necessary for us to carry on our lives, pursue our happiness, do what we need to do to live our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are certain things that people need to do to live their lives, and we can expand on that. One of the things is think for themselves, form their own conclusions about the world, pursue truth whether they, they're right or wrong on it, they have to be able to think for themselves. You can't force people to think a particular way. And we can talk about examples of that too. You try to force people to agree with you, you end up either driving their ideas underground and you create the kind of hatred and resentment that, uh, that you're trying to prevent, or you create a society like North Korea, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a rigid, you know, totalitarian society. So you can destroy people by trying to force them to think, but you can't make them think the truth, which right. is why we have to be free to arrive at our own conclusions. So there are a lot of idiots in the world like the Robert Spencers. He is, the technical term would be full of shit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just to be clear about it. Okay, obviously. That is not the, the most technical. No, I yeah, think but, that is the But I think Robert Spencer is totally wrong, an idiot, completely wrong up down and sideways i also want to uh, make the point that the, the the it's definitely true that if people are really pursuing truth they need to discuss and debate ideas and and bounce ideas off of other people they need to learn from other people so the whole idea of free speech supporting or protecting the discussions or debates is really important to learning. And it's even important to confront obviously false ideas because when you really confront them and you think them through, okay, so why is white nationalism or white supremacy wrong? Everybody says it's wrong. You know, we all grew up thinking it's wrong, but really what's wrong with it? We should mm-hmm. probably think that through. We should have a view of that. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we, we have to debate it forever, right? And I don't really, if I were a college administrator, I would not allow white supremacists to come on campus, or I might, depending on the context. But sure. as a general matter, if it were a private college, I'd probably say, you know what? We really don't need to rehash that debate. Mm-hmm. Let's have somebody intelligent on, on campus. But that, that's up to the university, sure. at least uh, when they're private universities. State universities raise a whole other issue. So my fun fundamental defense of free speech is not we should debate everything because that's just not true mm-hmm. uh, i mean i'm a you know I, i'm an atheist i don't really think we need to constantly debate the existence of god because i think it's pretty easy to tell but okay fine if people want to debate it they can debate it mm-hmm. you know i believe in newtonian physics and i believe in evolution i don't think you constantly need to rehash all of those debates although definitely on the margin scientists have to debate these things because there are always ways in which their their knowledge has to expand um, and the, the proper way to do that is to put your ideas out there, have somebody attack your ideas, and, and then you, and then you challenge them. Yeah. But, <laughs> but not everything is debatable, right? But Robert Spencer has the right to do what he to, – to speak his mind and say what he wants to um, because from my perspective, I take what's what you would call an individualist or moral approach to free speech, which is just this. We each have the right to conduct our lives as we see fit so long as we don't violate the rights of other people. Robert Spencer standing on a street corner, blabbering nonsense, does not violate anybody else's rights because all he's doing is speaking. Right Now, even though what he's saying is hateful, and even though if you followed his ideas really logically to their ultimate conclusion, you would end up 
probably at least. I mean, I, I'm not a real uh, expert in what he thinks, but generally speaking, <laughs> racists, Nazis, etc., they all end up using force against other people and doing really horrible things as the Nazis did um, in uh, in Germany in the 1930s. But the fact of there's, we have to draw a sharp distinction between advocacy of ideas, pure just advocacy of ideas, and use of force against other people or threats and things that are tantamount to force. Now, there's more that we can say about that, mm-hmm. but all Spencer was doing was talking on a street corner. He wasn't saying, let's go attack those guys because they're black. There's a big difference between speaking and advocating stupid ideas and essentially crossing the line into crime. But maybe we, you want to expand on that a bit. Right, but you're, but you're <clears throat> saying if you followed some of his his ideas to the logical conclusion, yeah. it would lead with some violence. Yeah. Then, then how do you argue to that that student that's on campus yep. that is maybe a minority, and and this guy comes in and and this person's saying, no, this is this is hate speech and it's dangerous to me. Yeah. Like, right. So what do you say to, to that person that's arguing that he shouldn't have a right to speak? There? Yeah. The, so leaving aside, I mean, we could talk about what what you know the the unique. Like, the first thing I would do if I were that student is I would speak out and protest peacefully, assuming the campus allowed all of that. Or I would go to my campus administrators and I would say, don't allow this guy to speak here Mm because he's horrible and this is stupid. And why are we we allowing a white supremacist on campus? And if it's a private university, you might be able to convince them not to have the guy there. And I don't don't have a problem with that. I mean, um, people should be able to go to school and not have to, you know, especially like, let's say you're a minority student, you shouldn't have to go to college and hear, you know, crazy white supremacists come on and make you feel like you constantly need to defend your right to exist. I get that. I'm entirely sympathetic to it. But leaving that aside for a moment, um, uh, what you have to recognize is Spencer speaking his ideas is not a threat to the black student's life. It's just wrong to say that that's violence or it's a threat or it somehow threatens his existence unless... That's actually what Spencer is doing, right? So there's Mm -hmm. a difference between saying, I hate black people, and saying, everybody get together with me and let's go lynch black people. The second one is properly against the law. Right. That is actually against the law. And that's one of the things that people need to understand. And I don't think people do understand this, is that that, um, uh, the criminal law does a pretty good job. And we could... We could dispute some things that the Supreme Court has held, but basically what the Supreme Court has said is if you advocate um, uh, the use of force or violence against individuals in circumstances in which that's a real threat to people, that that can be criminalized. Um, A simple way to think about this is uh, if I call you on the phone and I say tomorrow, you know, unless you give me $100, I'm coming to your house, I'm going to break your legs with a baseball bat. And you really have reason to believe that that's a real threat. It's not just, you know, Devesh calling you and, you know, using a scary voice on the phone. You're like, dude, I know it's you. You know, this is Which happens quite often. I imagine you guys do that all the time. I just got out of my last (laughs) My kids kids do that to me constantly. But uh, but if it's a real threat, right, or you have reason to believe that it's a real threat, that is against the law. He's not allowed to do that. So that's the same thing. That's taken as a latent use of force instead of the Mm -hmm. actual use of force. And if you think about most crime really is the latent use of force. It's not actually. So you get mugged. It's rare that you actually get shot, right? The guy points the gun at you, and you're like, "No, I don't really believe you. Shoot me first, then I'll give you my wallet." Right, right, right. You give him your wallet, and you run like the hell, get the hell out of there, and you you hope that you. And most muggings actually happen happen that way. It's really the threat of force. 
that causes us to do things. So we have to make illegal the real threat of force as well. So if somebody really threatens you or they incite violence, which is kind of like, it's, I always think of incitement as it's, it's kind of like a conspiracy in that it's, it's, hey, let's all like, I'm going to try to convince you guys to join me in my criminal effort to go kill that person over there. Or the, the way it comes up often is during, let's say, uh, you know, a, a situation of social unrest. Hey, you know, while we're busy like burning somebody in effigy, let's go bust the bust the Seven Eleven's uh, uh, window and go steal a bunch of stuff, you know, from Seven Eleven, and then they go do that. That would be inciting violence. Right. So you have to draw a sharp distinction between those two things. The ultimate distinction is: Are you really advocating? The way I would put it is the initiation of force against other people, which is a criminal violation, or are you just talking about out ideas that would require people? to agree with you and then follow those ideas to their logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. And then now, if you're worried about, well, what happens if too many people agree with the Nazi? Here's the simple answer. When they start doing things that amount to threats, incitement, you know, calling for the overthrow of the government, calling for murdering uh, or lynching black people, let's say, or killing Jews if it's if it's Nazis, that's the time when the government steps in and either starts to investigate them or actually prosecutes them. Um, so, uh, I mean, a good contemporary example of that is, like, think ISIS, right? Yeah. So if I say, um, you know, I actually think that uh, Sharia law is awesome and uh, and people should be forced to, to submit to Islam, that's not a violation of anybody who's right. If I say, you know, I just joined ISIS the other day, sent them my money, and now we're going we're gonna to start murdering people on the streets. That's now you're part of a criminal conspiracy. That's a whole different ballgame, and the government has the right to act. So what I say to people who are afraid of the logical you know, consequence of ideas is the criminal law is there to stop people before they put the – when they get to a point where they have taken positive steps – toward violating other people's rights. Right. Advocacy of ideas is not the same thing. That's the line between speech, even horrible speech, and crime, which we which is logically and, and appropriately prevented. Yeah. It just seems like the the, the waters can get kind of muddy there. Like, oh absolutely. It, totally easily. Yeah. Look at people. I mean here's why <laughs> here's why but it, they get muddy in the sense that and don't get me wrong, my point is not we should just sit around and watch the Nazis you know, have their say, We, you know, you, you have to argue against them. You've got to rebut them. You've got to show why they're wrong. Happily, people with really stupid, horrible ideas like that are pretty easily shown to be wrong. The things that they're saying are false. The things that they're saying are stupid. The things that they're saying will lead to, you know, all kinds of mayhem and, and, and chaos. Um, and it's not, it's really not that hard to show that, that they're wrong. You have to be prepared to argue against them, but but I do think that there's a flaw. So my let me let me point the finger sort of at the free speech those who are who are in favor of free speech these days. Mm-hmm. If the only argument you're making is we should just go debate everybody, I don't find that convincing. And I, I if I were a college kid on campus and I've heard people say this, yeah, you really want me to go debate with Robert Spencer? Like, what's the use of that? The guy right. is a jackass. He's an idiot. He's advocating ideas that have long since been proved false and horrifying. Do I really need to sit and debate that idiot? Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to waste my time debating that guy. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't and, – and that's – that's so that's where the right to free speech is or we need to look at the issue of the right to property, the right to go your own way, the right to, uh, of association. You know, tell your college not to invite that idiot there. Um, 
disassociate with him, ostracize the guy. That that that's a really good answer to people with really bad ideas. I don't think that there's an inherent problem in that, um, unless the only reason you're doing it is you're afraid of the ideas. Um, but we don't have to re-debate everything. If we understand that the right of free speech is just the right to speak without government interference, mm-hmm. the Robert Spencers of the world can go talk on their lonely street corner. Everybody ignores them, and everybody knows how to rebut their arguments. They are not a problem. It's only right. if people don't want to actually engage them and show why they're wrong that they have something to fear from them. Mm-hmm. Right. This is, I mean, like, you're talking about, like, Freedom of speech. Like I, I, for some reason, as you're talking, I'm always overlapping this with just privacy laws too, because I feel huh? like that's just the one of the forms of current debate of free speech. Yeah. Like because I, we were talked about this before we even started this episode. We briefly talked about net. I, I said net neutrality like once earlier, but uh-huh. like if you're because I've heard this argument. Like if you know you're being everything's being recorded. Like does that really in, promote an environment to freely seek out information and what you look at, etc. What, do you have a take on that or anything? Like, I mean, I think my own view of that is it depends on where the impetus to record everything is coming from. If it's purely private companies, mm-hmm. it's a it's ultimately a, a matter of what is your comfort level, and then do you want to stop using whatever services? And I think if there's real demand uh, for people for companies to respect privacy, they will. Mm-hmm. I mean, Apple's a good example of this. Although mm-hmm. you guys probably know more than I do, but I mean, remember. When the government tried to get into the iPhone of the of the San Bernardino, oh yeah, uh, and they tried yeah. to force Apple to give up its, uh, its encryptment, they wanted or whatever Apple to create software that yeah. had a backdoor, and Apple yeah. fought that, and ultimately the the government found a way around it on their own, so Third Apple party, wasn't yeah. forced to give up there or to or to create a backdoor. Mm-hmm. I think that was a huge win for freedom and a huge win for not necessarily free speech, but just. Uh, Privacy, you could call it privacy, you could call it the right of property, mm-hmm. it's the it's their intellectual property, it's their liberty interest. Um, and I, I mean we can if you want to really get into the oh, no. legal that, that's a, that's a whole other episode. But, but the point is the, the, <laughs> the point is this. There are companies out there that will respond to uh, market demand for privacy and do a really good job, I think, yeah. of protecting it. The danger is when government starts to force the companies to disclose your information. That, I think, is a real problem. That's scary. Yeah, to I, a lot that's of people. definitely scary. Uh, to a lot and, of people, yeah. that's scary. No, I, I agree. And and government has, unfortunately, we've given it way too much power to be able to, to build in these back doors to, to all kinds of... Um, uh, you know, technological systems. I'm not at all an expert to it uh, uh, about it, but I know that it exists, and government just has way too much power to 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 do that. Yeah. That's one of those things I actually flipped on because I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I heard about the story coming out. It's like, oh, about the iPhone. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, come on, Apple, help us catch a few terrorists, right, right, America. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then Hashtag I was like, America. Yeah, and then I'm like, <laughs> okay, so then the government has a backdoor, and they can get into like. Any yeah. of these phones, and I was like, the thing oh. about data, man, it's very easily copied. You can very easily transfer it. And, and I feel that's like what Apple is like saying, like if this is made, it's yeah. gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna and leave you the, can't unmake that. Yeah, you can't think that they do. Right? No, I, I think that's definitely true. And the government had all kinds of other ways to deal with. It. There it's was got lots of things to deal with terrorist threats. It's always the argument we have to go after this one person because there's nothing else we can do. And that argument is always nonsense. Yeah, and now especially because they were able to get another solution, yeah, exactly. now they're always going to have to like, well, did you really exhaust all yeah. your options before right. forcing this company yes. to make? Yeah. Absolutely. So now that's like the present now for going forward. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So, anyways, let's get back on topic. Sure. <laughs> because if we start talking about this, 
I'll, I'll, free I mean, well, speech just goes in every direction. Yeah, no, it, it, it really does. It really does. So wait, what, what do you got next here, Justin? We're talking about safe spaces a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically, uh, I mean, this is something that, again, like a lot of these ideas, it's like, Okay, we don't want a Nazi on the street yeah. corner, so let's just get him out of there. Like, let's, like you know what I mean? This seems like a good idea, here. and like this is another one of the things um, that I think it sounds like a good idea to have a safe space on a campus where, you know, everybody's really nice. I guess not offensive. And Everyone's then, like, smiling, and like, and and even trigger warnings. Like if you're going into a panel and there's like a you know a rape survivor. Yeah, right. Like, sure. That that seems like a logical yeah. thing that you put something on. Uh, trigger warnings are, I think, fantastic because you're being considerate to people who may not be uh, as strong-minded or they have uh, previous trauma. Yeah, I, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Actually, although but, although I mean I can speak to that if you guys want. Yeah, but if you want to keep. Oh yeah, so, no. I mean, to all three of these ideas: safe spaces, trigger warnings, and microaggressions. They all have what I would call grains of legitimacy to them. Mm-hmm. In fact, more than grains, it, but it depends on the context. They're, they're. I mean, I don't like the terms microaggression. I mean, it suggests that when you offend somebody, that's a form of aggression. Which oh is yeah, nonsense. That's, it, it, that's in HR materials at conference. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, you it's, read that. It's amazing, and it's, and it's and it's such a slippery concept. It can be used in so many different ways. So UCLA, or sorry, the UC uh, University System, University of California, published a list of microaggressions a couple of years ago, and on there, one of them was America is the land of opportunity. Like, okay, look, you can debate whether America is the land of opportunity, but the idea that that that's a microaggression is crazy. That's Mm. not a microaggression. Or I think the best person should get the job. Like, I actually think that's true. The best person should get the job. That's not a microaggression. And so you can politicize these terms. Those are opinions. Yeah, that's exactly right. But but so... But let's start with safe space, or no, it was trigger warnings that trigger you were warnings. talking about. Yeah. So um, the the origin of trigger warnings is PTSD. It's P- uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And That's it's what a I was real thinking. thing. Yeah, so totally. it's interesting. So one of these panels that I was telling you guys uh, about, the, the guy Faisal um, Saeed Al-Mutar, mm-hmm. probably just bastardized his name, but I'm sorry, Faisal. Anyway, sorry. great guy <laughs> from, from Iraq, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is a guy who has, so I, I actually pointed out during the, uh, the, the talk to the students, like we talk about oppression all the time and all your, your you guys are all oppressed by you know horrible things that are said this guy's brother was killed by you know in iraq his cousin was killed uh he was an atheist from a young age if he had disclosed the fact that he was an atheist he would have been put in prison and probably executed that's real oppression right yeah but he said at one point that um that when uh uh, when he's at anytime he's around fireworks if people set off fireworks and he doesn't know it's it's terrifies him and immediately what rushes back into his mind is bombs going off right down the street so that's a real example yeah. of post-traumatic stress disorder and it, and he says he asks his friends you know if you're going to shoot off fireworks can you warn me first right. right and so that would be an example like a trigger warning hey Faisal I know you were in the middle of a war right and lots of your family members were killed I don't want you to think that bombs are dropping so we're just going to tell you fireworks you know earmuffs or something yeah, like that, that and he'll and he'll put them on. and that's so that's a that's courteous yeah that's exactly right so <laughs> I think of trigger warnings as it's a it's an etiquette it's an issue yeah. of etiquette and politeness and if you're a professor and you know some student I mean take a you know take an example imagine a kid who's like brother or sister or mom or dad just died and now they're back and for whatever reason you're going to talk about death or suicide or something like that i would take that kid aside and i'd say listen this class is going to deal with these subjects why don't you just sit this one out Mm -hmm. and then i'll tutor you on it and we won't 
you know, just a, there's all kinds of ways you sure. can deal with that kind of thing. The problem I see with these kinds of issues, trigger warnings, um, uh, to take that one, is when it's when the idea is that we are going to give a trigger warning because, like, today we're going to even just talk about the Holocaust and that's somehow going to set people over. There's a famous example of uh, Harvard Law School criminal law class, and there was a big controversy that the professor didn't give trigger warnings before talking about um, the law of rape. And like, and or excuse students from the class. It was part of the issue. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how are you going to go on to be a prosecutor, a judge, or a defense attorney if you don't learn the law of rape? I mean, this is crazy. I mean, we right. can't. It can't be that every sensitive students can just veto whatever is taught in a class no, because they're the most sensitive person. Go to the professor, talk to them, have a conversation like adults. Mm-hmm. Say, look, I just can't handle this class. Is there a different way? I would be amazed if a professor said, no, screw you. I'm not going to let you do that. You sit in that class, and I'm going to humiliate you. No professor no. does that. That's So we've That's fetishized <laughs> this idea and turned it into a way of kind of infantilizing students. I think the same thing is true of safe spaces. I mean, safe space is, a, is an idea that originates with, like, therapy, psychotherapy, right? Yeah. So you go to a therapist, and they say, this is a safe space, say anything you need, and we're not going to judge you, and you're just going to get it all on the table, and then we're going to deal with your problems. Or, I mean, see, you know, you could use safe spaces for all kinds of things. You just get together. Sometimes you want to get together with your friends and have a conversation where you all basically agree and, you know, nobody's going to attack you for your views. I understand that. I do that all the time, you know. Sure. Um, so the concept is sensible. But when you have, like, there's a debate on campus that's happened at Brown University over whether there's such a thing as a rape culture. And they set up a room with, you know, puppies and pictures of kitty cats and fluffy pillows for all of the undergrads to go to. Not because they were forced to go to the debate. They didn't have to go to the debate. But just knowing there's a debate on campus, I'm, I'm terrified and I have to go to my safe space puppy room. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's childish. <laughs> and, and I got to tell you, I got three kids, 17, 15, and 12. Um, I can talk to – I talk to, the, to my kids about all of these things. I talk to them about all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, my youngest, who's 12, when, when we get to talking about scary things like war and stuff, she just gets up and she walks and goes up to her room. She's like, I don't want to hear this anymore. And we're like, that's cool. Very adult of you. You removed yourself from the conversation. I didn't even Peace have to out, set guys. up a room. Exactly. And, she, and she's like, to hell with you guys. I'm out of here. I'm going to go do something else. And then the other time. Yeah, exactly. No kidding, right? College students. And sometimes we'll, I'll apologize to her for bringing up something. And, but it's just a matter of etiquette. And then you, you know, but kids, young people can deal with this kind of stuff. If right. you teach them how to deal with it, or you teach them how to speak up, hey, I don't want to deal. I don't want to. I don't want to see the scary movie, you know. So I'm going to step out of the room now and and not watch yeah. it. That's something that people can deal with. Yeah, I mean, I don't even have that big of a problem with like a safe space. I mean, it sounds like a cool yeah. idea if people want to go here and there's certain things you're not going yeah. to talk about. Right, that's fine. But sure. I think the opposite of that, which kind of upsets me, is when I see portions of campuses where this is the free speech zone. Yeah. And they're limiting, like, the yeah. zone. Like, this is the only place where you can talk about these yeah. topics. That's no, the inverse yeah. of that, and yeah. that's what's... See, I have an issue. I should be able to talk about it. anything I really want to if it's a cordial conversation. Yeah, like absolutely. That, all of a sudden, like, we're in this room recording this episode. Is there an issue where we sat and recorded the episode in another room? All of a sudden, that's not, like, allowed? Yeah. Like, that makes no sense to me. No, and, and college yeah. campuses have been carved up like that into all of these little free speech zones. As the, And it's such a weird thing. I mean, there are reasons there are reasons through, you know, historically that this has happened. And part of it is that 
is the sort of protest culture. So, I mean, you know, it, you can't have a university function if people can just protest constantly anywhere. So, yeah. uh, you know, even on a public university where you do, it's treated like a public space and you mm. do have a First Amendment right to actually speak in the public spaces. It can't be that, you know, I can just wander into the, to any classroom and stand up and say, Professor, you shut up now. I have a right to free speech. Therefore, I'm going to speak. No, that's not no. how it works. Right. And it can't be that way. But the idea, you know, we've, we've gone far in the other direction, uh, and it, this really is, I think, an attack on free speech where, you know, somebody wants to hand out leaflets that, uh, that, that inform people about why abortion is bad. Look, I'm totally pro-choice, totally against uh, people who want to prevent abortion. But if some kid wants to hand out some leaflets somewhere on campus— what, is this somehow a violation of everybody's free speech rights? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a free speech zone where they do that unless they're somehow, you know, uh, impeding, you know, traffic or impeding people's right to move where they want or uh, otherwise impinging on people's freedoms. It's pretty easy to deal with these kinds of things. And we've gotten, gotten to a point now where we have to have these zones where, you know, you're allowed to talk about X, Y, and Z. Where, whereas, like when I went to college, it was just like, yeah, let's stop here and we'll have a conversation about it. Or it's it's really, you know, it's not a really a big deal, and we don't have to treat it like this giant, uh, you know. We problem. tried so hard to like defeat segregation in this country, and now it's just we're coming back to just segregation. In a different form. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because part of Core Foundation's mission, Core Foundation produces this podcast. It's about collaboration, breaking down walls. No matter what industry you are, like filmmaker, mathematician, huh? lawyer, it, the, you guys are creative with your own process, but like collaborate yeah like break that i feel like you can't really do that when you're well, setting up these barriers and like you're not allowed to talk about this stuff oh, i don't know no i mean yeah. it's a good that's a good uh point to bring up so um you know you talked about getting rid of segregation i think that if you think about it from the standpoint of the ideas that are leading to undermining free speech if it, it unfortunately is very much a, I'll call it tribalism. Like it's that's what I think. Multiculturalism, identity politics, intersectionality—all of these are ideas that, at their root, hold that your identity is defined by the group that you belong to, and 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 groups are essentially separate, and they can't actually understand each other or relate to each other's experiences, which is exactly at the heart of, I hate to say it, but it's true, that's what racism is all about. It's the idea that we are fundamentally separated by our race, which is totally false, completely Mm -hmm. idiotic. But what we've gone to in this country, and this is real tragedy, it's so up until the 1960s, we basically had a system of laws that were horrifying, and then they got slightly less horrifying, but they were always bad, that, <laughs> that, that oppressed black people, and that, and that created a separation among the races. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s, we essentially flipped from laws that, that oppressed black people and were anti-black to laws that, in effect, were pro-minority. They started by being pro-black uh, and then they expanded from there. But they do the exact same thing in reverse. They're, they're, so affirmative action laws are all kinds of laws like this. And either they, they operate this um, like this uh, on their face, like affirmatively or explicitly, or they operate uh, like this de facto in that they, they create uh, incentives to uh, 
to create, um, you know, um, quotas and that kind of thing. But they make people conscious of race. They make people have to care about race or other things that are that are immutable characteristics like sex and and gender and ethnicity and issues like that. Um, and we've gone in like we've gone in exactly the opposite direction, and now we're creating all of these tribes that are based on you know things other than they're they're not discriminating against. Although we're getting to a point now where they are doing that. That's what intersectionality is. It's like all of the warring factions now between you know race, ethnicity, gender, sex, whatever you know, all of the various litany of things. Mm-hmm. Now they're all trying to play, and this is a, a term that I forget who coined this, but Dave Rubin uses it often, the oppression Olympics. And so like you have, Olympics, to, you have to be that. the person at the <laughs> lowest. And like you're, so I'm a trans black, you know, female with one leg. So where does that score me <laughs> in the oppression? I'm like lower than you are. 5.7. Yeah, exactly. And, and now, now I get, you know, now everybody has to pay attention to me and defer to me. It's the same kind of, it is a form of segregation. It's really a horrible idea. It's funny. My uh, this is completely off topic. Just saying, just line this mood a little bit. Uh, I have some friends are on Tinder, right? And they're just they'll show me like, oh, look at this person I might ma- I matched with, and I've seen these girls uh, or guy, <laughs> and they have like, these millennials have a lot of interesting terms for themselves, uh, how they identify like gender wise or like sexual orientation. I can't remember what the socio. I don't even remember what they some of these terms gender are. fluid foxkin something like I was like. <laughs> Can't you just say what you're interested I know. in? And like, yeah. You had to make it, like, I don't know. I thought I was watching, like, a, a Scientology-type speech or something like that. Just make it up some words sometimes. So if you can't keep up with this, think of me. I'm, like, I'm 52 years old, so this is, like, totally. So I, I look at this, and I'm, like, I don't know what the hell anything I mean, any of you people are talking about. I mean, whatever floats their boat at yeah. this point. But, like, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Just, again, you're talking about. But a lot on, of it on, is, on this oppression higher. Like, I, yeah, a Olympics. lot of it is, like, a, it, it's a weird effort to define themselves like the ideal would be we defined ourselves by our individuality and by mm-hmm. so i'll hearken back to something that martin luther king said right we we ought to uh judge people not by their the color of their skin by the content of their character why do we do that right ask mm-hmm. yourselves that so we don't judge by the color of the skin because Color, skin color is immutable. I didn't choose that. I can't do anything mm-hmm. about it. I'm stuck being the guy that I am. I'm white. You know, I am the age that I am, my hair color, my height, all those things. And judging me on that basis is crazy because it's totally unjust. It's like, I, I can't help this. So why we, would you judge we, me? We haven't taken CRISPR to that point yet yeah. where we can change that kind but, of like, trait. But, yeah. the, but the, the issue we should judge people on is the content of their character because they are able to change that. So right. if you're a jackass, I should judge you as a jackass. If mm-hmm. you're a Robert Spencer, I should judge you as a horrible person with stupid ideas and and false ideas that lead to mayhem if we really follow them in, in practice and all kinds of other things but once you get rid of that people have to find some way to distinguish themselves and so they come up with We're these hardwired. bizarre stupid categories like i mean whatever the all of the various gender categories yeah. are which are i honestly i gotta say i don't buy any of it i think that they're made up for the most part I think now they're all saying i could the be same wrong thing. about that but i think they're all saying the same thing but like just, just you don't need to Complicated. I don't yeah. know. I'm simple and old fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm really glad you took my Tinder comment and you tied in MLK. <laughs> Thank That's you what I try that. to do. I try to make really, you know. Well, technically, you're a white cisgendered male. So, yeah. nothing you say, actually. Yeah, I, I know. Up, up to cisgendered. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, cisgendered. I, saw, I was like, okay, yep, yeah, there it is. Yeah. 
Thank you, Justin, for that. No worries. <laughs> but yeah. notice you, what you just said is a joking way of saying something that lots of people actually believe. Oh, yeah. That because yeah, I I'm am a sure white cisgendered, what was it, white cisgendered, white cisgendered male? Male. Yeah. male, right. I forgot the male part because <laughs> uh, I thought that was maybe – no, white yeah. cisgendered male. Therefore, we should ignore you. Why? Because you're an oppressor, which, number one, I'm not an oppressor. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. You guys can judge for yourselves. Do I look like the kind of guy who goes around? Maybe. I don't know. You don't see me. In, You've been very friendly but thus you, far. Yeah, exactly. So far, <laughs> I haven't tried to oppress anybody. Yeah. But the thing that's really sick about that, I really hate this, and uh, it is, first of all, it's racist. Like, because I'm a white guy, I'm a bad person, which is insane. Like, that's, it's, people call it reverse racism. Let's just call it what it is. It's racism, mm-hmm. right? And that I'm somehow an oppressor because what? White people through history have oppressed people. That's definitely true. Hmm. Guess what? Every other ethnicity, gender, well, not gender, but every other ethnicity has oppressed people throughout history. It's just, I mean, like, guess what? Human beings have oppressed people all across the globe. The whole history every, like The that. whole history. I mean, there's tons of oppression to go around, so to speak. You don't say the descendants of these people are guilty of what their ancestors did. That's insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really crazy. And then, therefore, we're not going to listen to you. Why wouldn't you listen to me? Even if I am an oppressor, maybe maybe I'm a good math teacher, too, and you should listen to what I'm ha- – you know, I mean, there are all kinds of smart people who've had really horrible ideas in one part of their lives, but they still can speak the truth. Uh, and and it's crazy to say I'm not going to listen to anything you're going to you you're going to say because you are this gender and this color. That's insane. My my wife and I had uh, we're having a debate. <laughs> a great way of putting were you that on there. Going to her, oh, you probably where she yeah possibly. I actually yeah. do that all the time. You you, you, you tend to get into these situations. Uh, <laughs> do you want to dive into this a little more? I just want to say the the one thing I was like, and she'd never used it in a conversation before. I I don't even know what we were talking about. Like that's but it was like she came back with not an argument. She came back with but. You're a white cisgendered male. She said that to you. She said that to me, and I was like, I just, I think I just walked out of the room. You're, I, you're, like, I saw, I saw your reaction. Your jaw dropped, <laughs> and you had no rebuttal, and then you walked out. But when, when that becomes a response to yeah. something that you've said, I think you've lost like the inte- intellectual yeah. argument at that point. Like that's. I'm weird. sorry, Cat. I'm not condoning anything <laughs> Justin's saying on air right now. My uh, my wife usually just shortens it to your jackass. Yeah, get the hell right. out. Of See, here. that that is a better that argument be to I, me <laughs> than you're a white sister as a male. Because being a jackass doesn't discriminate. Yeah. Yeah. you can be any race. And the other thing is, with me, it's usually at least half the time it's true. So that's I gotta so admit funny. that. Yeah, okay, you see, you guys got you guys you guys got a, a thing with your wives. With me, my wife just stays silent, and then I know something's wrong. Yeah, it's like I'm like. Dang it. All right. Let me figure this part out. <laughs> so, we so, right. well, it seems like basically a lot of stuff we're talking about today, Steve, how you're talking about all these topics. It's like we should not shy away from just engaging, not necessarily re, like bring up old debates, right? Yeah. But we shouldn't be afraid to brush over those topics. Oh, definitely. And it, when we start chastising people or like getting violent when these things are brushed upon, even though it's not. There's not many Nazis in the world today yeah. compared to whether we're yeah, back. Yeah, no, that's true. We sh- yeah. engage the person, no, I, not I, I with mean, a fist. E- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, either engage the person or at the very least what I would say to people is um, uh, understand why you think that person is wrong right. before you do anything at all. Even before you protest. Like, it's not enough just to say, well, everybody has always told me that white supremacists are wrong. Mm. 
and therefore I'm just going to ignore them. I'm not saying that people should go around seeking out white supremacists to engage with, mm-hmm. but I am saying you should be clear on why you think it's wrong and why it in fact is wrong. And you should really understand what's wrong with white supremacy, what's wrong with whatever you, it is that you call racism. What does it even mean to call somebody a racist? When we're getting to a point where, I don't know if you guys heard about Heather McDonald being protested at Claremont McKenna College. She's a writer from the Manhattan Institute who wrote a book called um, The War on Cops. And she's very critical of the Black Lives Matter movement. But she's very smart, and she marshals facts and arguments to back up her position. Her, her argument is essentially there is no rampant racism among, among cops. Not only that, cops are the biggest friend to black people because black people oftentimes live in poor neighborhoods, and they need police to protect them from She just took the exact opposite of popular perception. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah, got it. And they, and they cut her off. They wouldn't give her an audience. They, they literally formed a human chain around the building so nobody could listen to her. But they also called her a racist and a fascist which is cra- it's totally crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just utterly wrong. And when I hear people saying something like this, my first response is, do you even know what a racist is? Do you yeah. even know what a fascist is? You are, And part of the real tragedy is, the more you repeat that term, it's like the boy who cried wolf. It's, I don't even pay attention to people. Everybody, people call me a racist. I'm like, yeah, what else, what else is new? You, you know, yeah, I mean, I've been called everything. It's total bullshit. It, what you're saying now doesn't matter, and no one's going to pay attention to you when a real racist comes along. That, right. That. See, like to me, like I would never have made a chain around her necessarily. Like I may not agree with what yeah. she's saying, but that's again, I may be ignorant and yeah. as well. I want to be more informed. Again, yeah. engaging and finding out more about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Because at the end of the day, you're either going to have a, a firmer stance on what you're believing. Yes. Or you're going to be changed. You're yes. Gonna be moved. You're going to say, oh, you know what? Maybe I need to change my yeah. opinion. Now that's a perfect way to put it. Either yeah. you're going to have a firmer belief in in what you already think is true, or you're going to change your mind. And you're going to you're going to benefit from both of those because ultimately, you'll either gain a firmer grounding in in the truth, mm-hmm. or you'll change your mind to the truth. Right. And, and exactly. this is something people forget. The whole point here is to oversimplify it. It's the pursuit of truth. It's the pursuit of understanding the world so we can live our lives, live good lives, interact with other people, cooperate, and have this awesome society that we live in. And I like this, like, uh, I can't remember where I, who told me this before, but I remember talking, engaging with a friend many years ago, and he had mentioned, like, you know, it's more importantly just to say the idea, whether they agree with you or not, because that idea will at least stay with them. Yeah. And down the line, whether it does make sense, it'll be there for yeah. them to just... Oh, aha, one of those moments. Yeah. I liked uh, recently, um, I didn't see the Pepsi commercial, actually, but with the the Heineken thing. That was really cool. You know, I didn't actually see the Heineken thing. Uh, I, I, I saw the Pepsi thing, but I heard about the Heineken I, thing. I, you but. know, it's so funny. We should, have, we should have shared notes then before yeah. we hit this record button. But um, yeah, no, the if you take a look at the Heineken yeah. commercial, I loved it. I thought it was like, oh, yeah. Like, it took people with opposing views. Yeah. Put them in the same room. So, and, yeah, so yeah. the idea is people can actually talk to each other. I yeah. mean, you find that when you actually have conversations with people. And right. some of my best, mo- like the my, my favorite talks are when I have some people who disagree with me. Yeah. And so at UCLA, we had a bunch of people sit in the back of the room with their middle fingers up the whole time. And and, <laughs> and some of them asked, one of them just sat there with their middle finger up. And I was like, all right, well, you know, whatever. That's I get what that means, but it's not really much of an argument. Mm-hmm. But one of them actually asked questions, really hard questions, like hey, about hate speech. And and we are we answered the questions as best we could, and we engaged the person, and she seemed like she was actually paying attention to what we were saying. I don't think she was convinced, but I like having that that kind of challenging people, and maybe they'll walk away having you know a new way to think about things. Mm-hmm. It's much it's a good way to, to to get your point across. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think this is probably the best time to segue into the First Amendment. Yeah. We wanted to take this part, like part of this episode, we wanted to actually read out the First Amendment and just go by it line for line and just talk about it yeah. and get your expertise on this whole sure. thing like, and how we should be looking at this. Justin, this is very... Uh, I'll let you read it off, man. Oh, are you serious? Oh, you give me the honor? Dude, the honor is all You're, you're going to read the whole thing, right? No, what? Just the like first part. Oh. <laughs> no, read read it all, because yeah. there's something worth saying about the yeah. whole thing first before we go to the Oh, no, no, no for sure. All right. Just one and now we okay. have the First Amendment. <laughs> Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Yep. So that's the whole spiel. Some of the most important language written into our fundamental law. Um, but one thing to say about it, if, if you don't mind if I just say one quick Go thing about the whole thing. Notice how it's structured. And, and I, I can't say historically that there's evidence that they did this on purpose, although there's a definite logical structure to the whole thing. It starts with religion, which back in the 18th century when when this was written, religion was generally thought of as freedom of religion really meant freedom of thought because religion mm-hmm. was the big thing back in the Enlightenment time, which, which the, the founders and others thought either it was a very personal issue or oftentimes it inhibited people from so it, if you think back to the to the literally to the dark ages or the middle ages you had a theocracy which you know imposed an orthodoxy and prevented people from dissenting or thinking uh, what they wanted about this most important topic of morality which mm-hmm. is essentially how the founders thought about it so it starts really broad with what i would call freedom of thought on a really important issue then it's then from there it gets more and more narrow to specific applications of freedom of thought and freedom of expression so it goes from the broad issue of religion which i take to be philosophy or morality and then to free speech and then an application of free speech, which is freedom of the press, and then a narrower application of a way in which you can use free speech, which is getting together with other people Mm -hmm. and expressing your views to people, and then to a really narrow application, which is the right to petition your government, which is essentially to to go, you know, yell at your congressperson and say, you should do this and not that. Mm -hmm. But it's neat how it starts really broad with a broader principle, and and, and this is why, um, uh, you know, in the, the, you know, I don't know, like 80... To 100 years ago, um, judges often thought of the right to free speech as coextensive with the right to think and the right to express yourself. So it was often put in terms of freedom of thought and freedom of expression as a broad, all-encompassing right. And then the First Amendment protected all kinds of different applications of that, which I think is exactly the right way to think about it. Because it, it gets the philosophical, if I can be technical, the philosophical hierarchy right. The first thing is you have to be able to think for yourself. And then after that, you you cooperate and talk to other people. And then there's all different ways that you can do that. And the First Amendment protects all of those. It's it's It's... It's understood broadly to protect pretty much every way in which you can express yourself. Although we can talk about those specific Interesting interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get on to the – let's do it line by line. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's work through it. So we got um, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. It seems Or prohibiting simple. the free exercise thereof. 
Right. So I just want to feel like I was a part of the crew. Yeah. Thanks. So the basic idea there, and I'm I'm not like a super expert on freedom of religion, but I can tell you, but the basic idea there is that they wanted no state-sponsored religion because where the founders were coming from in England and throughout Europe, and then and then the pre-enlightenment time period, you had a mixture of church and state. Right. You basically had either state-supported religion, which essentially precluded people from engaging in other religions that weren't the state-supported one, mm-hmm. or you had, even worse than that, a theocracy where it was like, you, you, if you don't believe in this religion, we can punish you. So think blasphemy laws, right? right. That was a common practice. I mean, it was actually a common practice right up into the 19th century here, and it's a common practice worldwide. So the idea there is we don't want to mix church and state. And then a corollary to that is you should be able, you should have the freedom to exercise whatever religion you want, which means the state can't, it both can't establish a religion and say, this is the dominant religion, you have to subscribe to it. And it can't say to you, and by the way, you're not allowed to practice whatever religion you are. So those are corollary rights that essentially amount to, when it comes to religion, it's hands off. Right. From the state. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, who is the... The dude, the the talk show host, Stephen Colbert, John Oliver. Oh, the John thing Oliver. I was talking about. I think he like created a religion, like for some of his like, <laughs> just to get like a tax exempt status to like show how kind of crazy it yeah. was. Like, I don't know if you know necessarily, but because government has to be so hands off, yeah. is it pretty easy? Like, I mean, there's like a Jedi religion right now too. I think like just, you would know there's a Jedi religion. I don't know if they're <laughs> tax exempt. You know, there was a big case mounted by the Church of Scientology uh, hmm. about a decade or so ago, and they finally prevailed. They basically, in essence, they they wore down the IRS so that the IRS finally had to recognize them as a tax exempt religion. But I don't think it's really easy to do that. Oh no, oh, um, it's yeah. in the pro- it's definitely process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's hard. And by the way, I don't necessarily agree with the idea that that religion should be exempt from taxation. But that's a harder issue. Um, But I'm not positive that it's true that religion should be exempt from taxation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot. There's a lot of differing views on that. But Mm. separation of church and state, I don't think should go as far as. At least I'd have to think more about it. But I'm not positive that's the right way to think about it. Gotcha. We're all entitled to change our opinions. (laughs) (laughs) So. Or abridging the freedom of speech. Yep. So, I mean, is that one just as simple as it sounds? I mean, typically, free, yeah, well, typically freedom of speech and freedom of the press are treated as coextensive. So usually when you when you talk about free speech cases, it's freedom of speech or of the press. And the reason for that is what you're capturing there is the spoken word and the written word or all of the different ways that you can convey an idea to people. And it's been broadly construed pretty much to cover you know, any way that you can convey information to another person, whether it's spoken, the proverbial guy standing on a soapbox on the corner, or published in a newspaper on a t-shirt. Now there's Mm -hmm. a famous case, uh, um, I think it's Cohen versus Virginia, the otherwise known as fuck the draft case, where a guy wore, I think on the back of his jacket, um, he went into a court uh, courthouse with the words "fuck the draft" on there, and he was held that he had a. It was held that he had a right to to wear the jacket, and they <laughs> and they couldn't prevent him from doing that. Now you can argue about whether you do you can do that on, a, on a, in a courthouse, <laughs> but the bottom line is it covers you know, and I think the way they put it is it covers all expressions of you know ideas 
broadly construed, whether sensible or stupid. Although I'm, I'm kind of a fan of the F-bomb, as you can see. I swear <laughs> a lot. But the point being I is think there's that anyone here that's not yeah, a fan. Yeah, right. Of it. <laughs> I mean, who could not be? But, but um, yeah, so it's, it's basically, uh, so it, it's, it's written broadly enough and construed broadly enough that it doesn't just cover, you know, things that existed in the founding era, but computers, the internet, all the different ways that you can convey information, even coding, even uh, computer programming has been, uh, in some cases, uh, covered by the First Amendment. Really? Um, so yeah, it's it's written, it's 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 thought of and construed very broadly. Now, to get back to uh, uh, something we talked about before, although I won't dwell on this, but it the Supreme Court has held in various ways that not only does it cover your actual your actual speaking or your writing but the tools necessary to make yourself heard. So money is one thing uh, that in campaign finance cases, the Mm -hmm. Supreme Court has held. If you limit the amount of money people can spend on speech, you necessarily limit the speech. But another way to think about it is imagine if, so how, how could you guys do this podcast if the government banned the microphones and the computer and all the other equipment? You wouldn't be able to do it, right? No way. So if they passed a law saying we don't really like these guys' pad- podcasts and we want to, we don't really want to tell them that they can't do podcasts, but we'll restrict microphones and all the equipment, it amounts to the same thing, right? Right. So, so the court has protected, say, printing presses and and laws that are designed to prevent people from taking the kinds of actions they need to get their speech heard. Right. Hmm. Um, when it comes to like freedom of the press. What's 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 the line between like libel laws and like yeah. uh, like be, just being able to say whatever yep. you want? Thank about you somebody. for asking that because I wanted to ask something similar. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, cool. No, yeah, no. It's a good question, and it's not the easiest thing in the world. But the way I think about it is, I mean, bottom line is this. So what libel law says is that you're not allowed. I mean, I'm really oversimplifying this, but sort of making it. <laughs> making it. <laughs> what libel and slander law, defamation, generally speaking, say is you can't lie about facts in a way that damages, causes actual measurable, measurable damages to other people, right? So you cannot, so you can state an opinion. I okay. think you're a jackass. That's not libel, right? Because it's just, what does jackass even mean? It's an opinion. If I say, uh, you know, you raped your girlfriend a week ago, and I'm not going to hang out with, like, if we actually said about some real people, hey, I, you know what? I don't like that guy because he raped his girlfriend. Uh-huh. That's a that's a statement of a fact. It's verifiable as either true or not. If it's not true and the guy can prove that that causes him damages, and usually when you say things like that that really damage a person's reputation, they can prove that, then they can sue you uh, for libel. That's the, that's the essence of it. Now, there's all kinds of permutations of it, but... Um, but so if you, what you're not allowed to do is um, say something that is demonstrably false against another person in a way that causes them damages. So are you trying to say, I don't know if you're trying to say this, but can you say like President Obama, can he say something, can he do something legal with President Trump's wiretapping claims, even though it hasn't been proven. Yeah, but see, well, yes, the answer pre- is yes. Pre- okay. It depends on the context. So what the court has held, and I think this is proper, is that at, with, with so-called public figures, and mm-hmm. certainly with politicians, I agree with this wholeheartedly, um, when it comes to politicians, because of the nature of the office they're seeking, and because um, that even to run for office, we have to be able to talk about them and criticize them, mm-hmm. they, the, what the Supreme Court has said is we're going to set a high bar for what counts as libel. Okay. And just saying something that's false is not enough. It has to be intentionally false or you've said it with reckless disregard for the truth. So if we sit around and say, you know, my speculation 
is that Trump was working with Putin in some way, right? Sure. Now, it hasn't been proved, or maybe it has been proved, I don't know, but I'm just using that one. Mm-hmm. Or with the wiretapping, all kinds of different things that, that, you know, there's all sorts of speculation around Trump. That's not going to be liable because he's a public figure. He's a politician. He'd have to prove that whatever I said was definitely false and that I said it intentionally. Like, I knew it was false and I said it anyway. And that it also damaged him, which would be hard for him to, to really show. Yeah. This is he damages himself. He does. Yeah, he that's true. <laughs> Justin, that's an alternative fact. But that's a, that, the damage part. The damage part is really important. It's not yeah. enough just to lie about somebody. Oh, it hurt you. Hurt my feelings. You said mm-hmm. you know you said that I was got really drunk at that party, and it's not really true. I was only half drunk. You know, not really drunk. And now very I feel subjective. bad. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, but let's let's say for you know the person was stone cold sober, and you said they were drunk. Well, what really is the damages? Can they measure that? Did it really harm their reputation? Are they they the type of person who's in a position for their reputation really to be harmed or to suffer some sort of damage? Here's a, let me give you this example. You guys are too young to remember when this actually happened, but I hope you've at least heard about it. Long ago, what, probably over 30 years ago now, it was longer than that, I think. If you remember hearing about that um, uh, Tylenol, you remember hearing that Tylenol was laced with cyanide uh, in like, I think this happened in the 1970s or 80s. And Johnson & Johnson, they make Tylenol. So a bunch of people bought Tylenol off the pharmacy shelves, took it and died because some crackpot was going around lacing Tylenol with cyanide, right? And now think of this, there was maybe five cases in the entire country. Think of how much Tylenol is sold just every hour, let alone every day. Five cases, tiny, tiny percentage. And yet the cost to Johnson & Johnson was like in the hundreds of millions of dollars to regain public trust. If you went out and said, hey, world, I just laced a bunch of uh, uh, bottles of Tylenol with, with poison, uh, you know, good luck finding out which one. What do you think people would do? This they wouldn't stopped. buy Tylenol yeah, anymore, this right? Stopped. And it would cost Johnson & Johnson gazillions of dollars. That would be a really, that's a really good case of, um, and if I were lying about it, or even if I if I told the truth, I'd be crazy and I'd be arrested for for actually doing it. But if I lied about it, there's easily demonstrable uh, um, damages to the company, and they could definitely sue me for libel. That would be a clear case of libel. Um, and I think it's a good example because it's a measurable phenomenon. So the point is, yes, there are hard uh, questions in libel law, but there are some questions that aren't that hard. You can tell, okay, yeah, I really get this. Like if somebody accuses me of something, think the Duke lacrosse, you remember the whole Duke lacrosse scandal when the fraternity was, or no, it was the lacrosse team was accused of raping that girl at right. a frat party. And it turned out to be totally made up. And I mean, they're, they they almost ruined the entire Duke lacrosse team. I think Duke itself probably had a cause of action. The lacrosse, the, the individual lacrosse players whose reputations were ruined from that time period, they sued, they were able to sue, and, and I think they were successful. So there's certain cases that really crystallize why, yeah, this has to be, you can't just go around saying things that will that will cause people real damages. Yeah. That's, we want to go to the next line? Yeah. You want to read? Sure. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I've been Not hogging the First Amendment. All right. This is a long one. Or of the press. <laughs> <laughs> well, the press, I mean, we basically <laughs> said that with the light. Yeah. Shh. And I, I mean, the, the only thing to say about the press that's relevant is the press has no greater First Amendment rights than anybody else. So mm-hmm. you, you, so you guys are a good example, right? Do you consider yourselves the press? Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't matter. You have as much right to speak and to publish your views as the New York Times does, and you, they don't have any greater rights than you do. And it's an important issue because a lot of people have argued over the years that that 
that clause gives the press some special rights that other people don't enjoy, the Supreme Court rightly has held. That's not true. Everybody has equal First Amendment rights. I know this is a podcast, but I'm going to high-five Justin for that one. Yeah. 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 Yay! Not least, <laughs> just as good as the New York. Not, not least because, yeah, you know what? Half the stuff you're saying is probably better than what's published in the in the Times. Often, well, although I, I like the Times. No, but, well, um, I do too. I just again, our whole philosophy with this was just let's post our conversation. Yeah, because I love having a good convo with people who oh, know yeah. more than I do. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I'm gonna read the next line though. Do it. All right, or the right of the people peacefully to assemble. So. I think this was a little triggered line here. <laughs> so, Antifa. 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 Yeah. That's, that's what I wanted to talk yeah. about. Note that it's peaceably, isn't it? Peaceably. It's Sorry, peaceably. I said it wrong. Yeah. Or the right of the people peaceably yeah, to peaceably. assemble. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, so, Steve. So I actually know something about the word. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool, right? It's like you have some expertise. It's like I have peaceably and peacefully. <laughs> peacefully, peacefully. I think yeah. they're the same thing, basically. Yeah. But, All right. So, uh, words matter. <laughs> so, but one thing that gets me and has happened a couple times here in LA is uh, people like making a chain of people across a highway. Yeah, mm-hmm. is that it? Doesn't get, yeah, it should get you. That that definitely is and should be you know illegal, and those people should be prosecuted. You don't have the right to block traffic. You have the right to um, uh, peacefully protest on public property or, or do a march or something. You don't have a right to cut off. Traffic, and if you think about it, it makes sense because if that were true, and this is part of what's wrong with the way people think about the uh, First Amendment and free speech, and why a lot of people are opposed to it. Because imagine if every other person's exercise of free speech prevented you from going about your day and living your life, driving on the highways, going to work, buying products at stores, listening to Heather McDonald speak, let's say, going to classes if you're on college. How long would you support free speech if that's what you thought of it as? Not very long. You'd, you'd right. be like, screw this. It's, I don't care that. I don't care about these idiot marchers. I mean, let's, let's cut off their rights to free speech. And the, and the answer to that is it's a, wrong, it's a wrong-headed interpretation of free speech that you somehow, your right to free speech allows you to violate the rights of other people. Imagine if, like, if my right to protest gave me the right to go sit in your living room and, and yell at you the whole time for being a white cisgendered male, right? So, you know, <laughs> or, or even just to tell you you're not allowed to play video games because it's bad for you. Right. Um, that would be crazy. And I'd want to boot your ass out of my house and you have every right to. And in the same way, they can't form chains across the highway. It's both, it's dangerous. It's violating the, the rights of other people to drive on the highways. So yeah, no, they should be arrested for that. And, and we shouldn't have a problem, a First Amendment problem when people are arrested for that any more than when Antifa takes over Berkeley and lights the whole campus on fire or threatens the life of Ann Coulter or riots through the city of Berkeley they don't have a right to do that either. That's why it says peaceably and not just riots are fine. That's not, so the founders understood the distinction between a peaceful assembly and a riot or or people violating the rights of others. And that's a really key point to uh, to get. And it's unfortunately lost on a lot of people these days. And I think it, I think it has a really negative impact on just sort of the average citizen's view of free speech. Yeah, I think it's just logically flawed too, yeah. because oh. it's like, if you're sitting on the five, and you make somebody's like traffic in LA longer than it already is. <laughs> I don't care what you are advocating for. If it's for like free puppies, save puppies. Yeah. Like, I'll go no. home and kick a puppy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in the same way, like just the fact that, you know, Antifa thinks they're they're doing a good thing by, you know, burning things and causing like damage to places around Berkeley, it's like my, 
there were people I talked to that had no idea who Milo was before that. Yeah. But they knew. Yeah, oh, I, w- I was. I was one of those people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. You schooled me on that whole. It's like, Devesh, have you not? I was like, no, man, I've been busy. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I have a life to live. Why yeah. should I pay attention to that guy? Because people are writing. Oh, all right. Yeah. I'll pay attention to him. Oh, whoa, what? People are. Okay, yeah. No, obviously, in my short attention span. And that was, I think, before his book got canceled, but his book was out then, and yeah. he shot up to, yeah. like, number one seller on Amazon. Like, yeah, he did you, the exact shining a spotlight on it and that's the thing like violence is never really ever always almost there's some people there's some crazy people out there (laughs) like it shouldn't be the first solution yeah well i i mean it never is the only time you can i can think of where violence is a solution or you could say force i mean there are two two times one in self-defense if somebody Mm. attacks you you're allowed to use lawfully uh um force necessary to stop the threat Mm -hmm. and then if you want to rebel if you want to stage a rebellion right so the founders but but even that is subject to at least not subject to law but it's subject to sensible reasoning so you know the french revolution where they were just lopping off everybody's head and letting blood run in the street bad revolution right the (laughs) the american revolution where they're freeing themselves and making a better country good revolution i mean those Mm -hmm. are two ways of thinking about it but if that's what you're going to do just state openly like we're an open rebellion and you know at least have the guts to own up to the fact that we're we're going to rebel i'm not justifying the rebellion i don't think people should do that Mm -hmm. but have the guts to say we're rebelling and then the cops can go after you and they can they can put you in jail but don't pretend that you're protesting that's not Nonsense. Yeah. yeah. There's one last line. Go for it. No, no. This I is stole it. the first half. No, no, no. This is symbolically important. <laughs> All right. Do this. The last part of the First Amendment is, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Yeah, so in the olden days, people actually used to write up petitions and they would go to Congress and submit formal petitions. We want you to pass these laws. It was a way for people to speak to their government. This originates historically from the fact that the, that the founders as colonists, the, uh, the, the American colonists, under the rule of Britain, were constantly going to the king of England and saying, there's all kinds of problems we have here. You need to pass laws to redress these problems. And his answer essentially was, F you, I'm not going to do anything about it. Like, I love all the loot I'm getting from America, but screw you guys. Uh And so they wrote into the First Amendment that, yeah, we have a right to petition the government. Um, and, And now it's not done all that much anymore. But one way to think about it, and this actually circles back to the campaign finance issue I was talking about, or, or I mean, something that's related to it. The way in which people today do something that is close to petitioning government is lobbying. They go and they either hire people or they have people that go and they speak to their representatives. Um, town hall meetings are ways in which you can speak directly to representatives, and, and most. Um, good Congress people actually have these things. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that lobbying is an, you know, there are all kinds of bad aspects of lobbying too. But that's the, the form in which the right to petition has taken these days is kind of, there's a mixture of both the right to free speech and the right to petition. It's political spending. It's it's speaking out during elections. It's going and talking to legislator, legislators and saying, you know, we think the law should be written this way. It's rare that people will formally petition, although sometimes they do do it. I love the world we live in. <laughs> so do you have any other questions? Well, We've been going for we're no, a good time here. This is, I, I, I think this is one of my favorite episodes of the season so far. Just because, <laughs> like, this is really important topics. You know, it's a lot of people are talking about this at homes with their friends yeah. and stuff right now. Yeah. And I, 
I don't know. Times are a changing, man. It's getting uh, yeah. it's getting a little heated out there. Yeah, we, <laughs> people need to stand up for free speech, or they're going to lose it. I I, I totally agree with you. Um, I really think that's happening. I don't think Justin had a favorite least or favorite. No, I do. You do? Because yeah. I had an, another question somewhere. Oh, uh, go. Do you think? I was going to say a lot of people. You've done a few talks. Yeah. You talk to a lot of people. You've heard a lot of opinions about yourself. Like you mentioned earlier in this episode, like at UCLA, there were just students in the back just yeah. flipping you off. The middle the finger. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your favorite quality that you heard about yourself and your least favorite quality that you heard about yourself from other people, I guess? Thing that people have actually said about me? Yeah. Um, or you felt that you've been interpreted you mean ways. You mean like a serious one or just anyone? Anyone. It can be serious. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, the, I think the funniest one was, so after the Citizens United case came down, I was on PBS NewsHour to uh-huh. defend the case. And I debated with this other lawyer about the case, and I took the position that it was a great case. Got off the air. I was on my way home, and I actually checked my email, and I had like 20 hate mails from people. <laughs> and this was like 10 minutes after I had literally walked off the set. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow. like, what do people do? They like they watch TV, and then they run to their computers, and they start, we got to write this dude hate mail as quickly as possible. And there was this litany of, like, you're a fascist and a Nazi, mm-hmm. and, I mean, really nasty stuff. We hope you, your family, you and your family get cancer Ooh. and die without health insurance. Like, what the hell does that have to do with debate? Why are you talking about my health the insurance? The funniest one, somebody accused me of being a Mormon. I was like, what the hell is that? I don't even understand that. A Mormon. And then I'm like, do I really look that sort of wholesome and like Utah kind of, you know, I'm thinking Donny Osmond, like That's the so Osmond funny. brothers. Really? Yeah. That kind of cuts. That hurts. Because I didn't think I looked. But I just thought that was like, I, I thought that was hilarious. And I wrote them all back. And the one guy was like, what the hell is with the Mormon comment? I'm nothing against Mormons. I just don't get what, I don't understand where that one's coming from. People are so funny. You're, so you're I think that was the funniest uh, that was the funniest uh, thing that uh, that has been said about me. Um, I mean, I've been accused of so many different things at this point. I mean, when you if you defend campaign finance or you're against campaign finance laws, everybody hates you. Mm-hmm. I work at the Ayn Rand Institute. Mm-hmm. Like, lots of people hate Ayn Rand. She's a real radical. I think she was a genius. But uh, but so I've gotten every negative comment you can possibly get at this point. Like they roll off my shoulders. I don't even pay yeah. attention to them. Anymore. I'm sure we'll get negative comments just on this episode oh, yeah. just because we are here. I want to say this right now. Like if that happens, which I'm more than certain, well, it like we should have another episode with yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> on the, on the, but on the favorite, on the good side, I mean, I can't think of any one particular, here's what the, the type of situation I like the most is when I go to a talk and some young person comes up after me, typically young people, and they really want to talk through some issue that I talked about, whether mm-hmm. they agree with any element of it or disagree or they're just confused about it, but they earnestly want to understand what the issue is. Or they they tell me, look, I try to speak out about these things, but people attack me. So how do I go about doing that? What are some you know tricks of the trade? How do you get through to people? And I give them advice on that. That's rewarding as hell. So yeah. I got to say, like, I get depressed sometimes when I, I check my Twitter feed because there's all kinds of nutball, you know, stuff that goes on, mm-hmm. on on Facebook and Twitter. But I'm optimistic when I do events like the USC event and all those other events because I keep meeting students who are, I think, what we're seeing on campus these days, it's it's a very vocal minority. And then we have a silent majority that's keeping silent. So my job and those of us who care about free speech is to embolden the majority of people to speak up. And when I get feedback from those students, man, it's it's awesome. It makes all of the criticisms like I don't care about the criticism. One person who is it goes to a talk of mine and says this was good 
And like, I just, even if I don't agree with you, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I'm totally. Like, I'm happy. Yeah, totally. Because so, like, again, engage people. Yeah. And like, just, you are, you're either going to be reaffirmed to what you believe in yourself yeah. or you're going to learn something new. Yeah. So. That's a, such a simple line that I think is a great takeaway. Yeah, no, that's no, a that, really good way to put it. Yeah. You should write that down. <laughs> I should put it on a podcast. Trademark that thing. <laughs> write a book. Yeah. Like, write a book. <laughs> I'm not going to be, a, yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, Steve, thank you so much for. Yeah. Did you have the question? Oh, you asked. Was that, that was that was that it? You you took it this time. Uh, you took it this are time. you not not going to ask the favorite case question? Okay. Ooh. All right, we'll do. It. I'll just say it real quick and yeah. we'll leave everybody happy. Favorite, least favorite. That case way, you guys can get hate mail and then you can have me back <laughs> on. So you you touched on it before when you asked about super PACs. Oh All right? yeah. So you guys know what super PACs are, right? Basically, Roughly, super yeah. PACs are just organizations, groups of people that can spend unlimited amounts of money on political speech. So the case political that, speech very important. Yeah the, the, yeah, the 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 case that created that is not Citizens United. It's a case called Speech Now versus FEC. Speechnow.org, right? Dot org. Yes. Yeah, okay. You've heard of that? I well, I did some research for this episode. All right. <laughs> so guess who was the lead litigator in that case? And someone in this building. Someone in this built. Someone in this room. Really? I, I I was the lead litigator on that case. Now with a bunch of uh, colleagues from the Institute for Justice and or, another organization called the Center for Competitive Politics. Mm-hmm. But it's my I, I and I mean this sincerely. And I, I I I often will say this. I'm the guy, or I was part of the team. I led the team that created super PACs, which led to literally billions of dollars more in spending. Everybody hates them. It's my most proud. Right. It's my proudest moment. And. If you don't like it, choke on it. And I often get people That's, like, <laughs> they can't believe you it. See, like they, it's like, I'm talking to a Nazi. But then I, then I try from there, from having stunned them, I try to win them over to understanding why, you it's, know. It's a, I, I had the same reaction. It's like, Steve, what? Yeah. Like, looking up stuff for this yeah. episode. Like, I think I'm going to have some stuff to talk about. Yeah. No, no, no. I wasn't doing that flexing, do Justin. It, do it. Come on, bro. Come at me, bro. It, it was like, it was one thing. I was That's like, good. oh my, this is really interesting. And don't get me wrong. Like, People have a differing opinion. And again, yeah. I have a perception. No, it's fine. Right? I have a perception. Like, what's the best way to explain this? Uh, you, you think that that moneyed interests are dictating our politics and I'm controlling I'm afraid of that. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. an understandable concern. Mm-hmm. So, And this is how I try to win people. Right after I say the really crazy mm-hmm. or the thing that sounds crazy. Get the me, hook. I immediately say, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't think that, that there are real issues. So cronyism is mm-hmm. a serious problem, what people think of as cronyism. And I don't, this is a long discussion, so I'll try to keep it really short. I'm definitely, it's not not just that I'm sensitive to the problem, it's a major problem. Mm. But it's not a problem like campaign finance laws that limiting money in politics can solve. In fact, mm. that can only exacerbate the problem. If we want to solve the problem of government corruption, we have to look at the type of government we have and the amount of power it has. Mm. That's the issue that we need to focus on. And there's no way to solve that problem without focusing on what government does. Because it's what government does that gives government the power to screw with people's lives, which then causes people to have an incentive to screw with government back or to want to affect government. When government has the power over you guys, right, or us or mm-hmm. any of us, right, um, to, to literally affect, I mean, life and death, death decisions, but in any event, your pursuit of happiness, are you going to sit still when they're really controlling your life or are you going to try to influence them? Right. I say... Of course I'm going to try to influence them back if they can influence me the way they can. And now think of the guy who's in the White House. Like I say that to people like, you were worried about um, uh, spending money on politics. Tell me, if you think you could have defeated Trump by spending a billion extra dollars, would you have said, oh, no, no, I'm not going to spend that money because I'm a purist? (laughs) Of course not. You would have said, and in fact, the Democrats did that. Mm -hmm. And, And good for them. 
I'm all in favor of that, right? So that's that. what you're doing when you're spending money in politics is you're spending money to try to convince people to vote some way or right. another. It's the same thing as you shouldn't punch a Nazi. Why? Because ultimately what you should do is debate with the guy. Right. And it's the same thing. Don't shut down the people's right to speak or spend money on speech. Debate with them. Have better ideas. And it's not, I mean, it's a myth that money controls politics. It's really not true at all. Mm. Um, but I won't, you know, bore you with all the details. I, it's at least, maybe we set up for for another discussion. Yeah, I, I really, I, when especially re- researching for this episode, the super PAC thing I realized could be an entire episode. Yeah. And yeah. I think we, we have the it. best person with next time. About I'll come next. to LA. Yeah, you guys don't <laughs> there have to come we go. Down here. Oh, by just the way, to, just to make, just to to you know, give you some incentive to to do it. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, I we appreciate you giving us the tour here at the institute. It yeah. was awesome seeing the artwork. No yeah, no, and. Uh, we hope people enjoy the behind-the-scenes photos we got today. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that's it. We should start wrapping up, Justin. Yeah. One of the longer episodes we've like done. It. But I don't think we – we can probably <laughs> – we should just do the whole Bill of Rights. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. At a certain point, I'll have to start making stuff up because yeah, I'm not sure. an expert on every one. But. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. We'll have a slide. Yeah. Well, thanks for everyone joining us for this episode. Um, keep in mind, engage, talk to people, open your mind up a little bit uh, from either side. Because you don't know what's going to move you or what might turn you um, or might reaffirm you. So, anything else want to add anything? No, I don't think so. Steve, where can people find you online? In- I, I, uh, Air Eyes website, the Ayn Rand Institute. It's uh, AynRand.org, O-R-G. Cool. Cool. And just look up Steve Simpson. They have a nice bio on him. <laughs> all all kinds right, of provocative stuff. <laughs> Do you have any other talks or anything coming up that you? Um, we have a summer conference going on, uh, and then next fall, look for more events like the U- USC event. That's what I'll say now. Nice. We haven't have them all planned, but look, but stay tuned. Yeah, guys, uh, listeners, uh, just go on YouTube, search Steve Simpson, uh, Dave Rubin. You'll see these panels. Yeah. Like you can check out the UCLA panel, the USC panel. Yeah, all of um, those are on. Uh, Air Eyes YouTube channel. We have a there you go. Yeah, you put them up pretty quick too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we still have UT to go up, and um, I think one more. But uh, we try to get them up there as quickly as we can. So uh, check it out, guys. Tons it, of other stuff. It's probably going to be posted by the time we post this episode. So um, hopefully, good. So, yeah. Well, thanks so much for a great yeah, episode, thank you, Steve. man. Really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thanks, Steve Simpson, dropping some serious knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. That was definitely the most political episode we've ever done yeah yeah laying down the law literally literally Literally. um i know you're really excited about having this uh interview conducted justin oh yeah yeah absolutely i i've got my own opinions on what's going on out there i don't think we seem too opinionated in this episode but that could just be me no i I thought it was actually very uh minimal there wasn't really a uh a lot of discord in this episode mm-hmm. but at the same time we're all talking about fundamental ideas that we all feel passionate about and we all deal with every day one way or another right so breaking down that first amendment was pretty cool yeah it was yeah. one of my favorite parts yeah um i want to take this time to remind everybody that we talk about engaging people and we're talking about listening to different viewpoints, ideas, uh, political, ideological, what have you. Um, it's really important to understand and go into these conversations with the chance that you yourself are wrong, even if you feel so affirmed that you are right. Because I feel like there's a lot of people out there that they're really stubborn in their point of view. They take that stick to your guns too seriously 
and they're just not ready to be prepared that oh this is what have you so again when you engage engage openly engage honestly or with some humility yeah 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 and without i mean it's easy just to label somebody or call somebody so and so but it's you're being intellectually dishonest with yourself i think no matter what side you're on if you're just labeling the other side as something and and, grouping them together as a just one thing and and just it just leads to people not talking but people just need to talk to one another yeah i believe people need to expand their viewpoints or and there are certain groups that see things with one perspective versus another group that sees things from a different perspective it's all about the same thing and we have to come to some middle ground so one way just real quick that i found out is like great in dealing with that is mm. just simply just to ask questions like yeah if you think i'm horrible for thinking this one thing then say you Talk. know yeah just <laughs> ask the question it's like well why do you think that don't you think that would affect somebody adversely and and don't talk to that person expecting to get triggered like jeez <laughs> you're not helping a situation you're just looking to instigate talk because you genuinely want to learn something new mm. and just understand so yeah man i think there's a lot of uh empathy issues <laughs> that people need to deal with in this but yeah uh we want to thank again going back on this is uh ayn rand institute for again allowing us to be there and uh allowing steve to sit down and talk with us yeah giving us well well more than an hour of his time yes and i hope you the listeners uh enjoyed season uh, this first episode of season two yeah uh, we have some other topics are really exciting this season that we're anxious to air yeah and i'm just being a jerk to justin and not airing them so (laughs) (laughs) but he's giving me this one this one so it's It's he's placating me it's important with that it's important so anyways ladies and gentlemen Ayn Rand Institute. Check them out. Uh, learn something new. And also, remember, this episode was brought to you by Core Foundation, a multimedia nonprofit. Check us out at cor-foundation.org. You know the spiel. And we will see you guys, not tomorrow, not day after, but someday. <laughs> someday soon-ish. Ish. Ish. Yeah. 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 Take care. Peace. Peace.